Well, um, tonight what I want to do is talk a little bit about how the prophetic looks in day to day, um, because so often we go to these kinds of events and there is a touch of God or something significant happens in our lives and then um, we return to our lives and it all seems like a little bit hard to get our heads around, um, or how to apply that in the setting outside the church. And one of the um, things I was really excited to hear about today, you know, is like seasonal guide groups or those those groups, one that is pretty much all public servants having this conversation about how do you be subversive in the government. I'm like, that's awesome, you know? Those are the kind of conversations we need to continue to have. Um, because um, I'm very aware that, that, that we need to work this out together because I have not worked in a cubicle, you know? Um, and that I've always been in community work or I've always been leading a church, which is a very different context to a bunch of people here. So how we journey forward and talk about this is, is really important. And so what we've established um, so far um, is, uh, is that prophecy is about giving words to people that reveal the sons and daughters of God by restoring their dignity, divinity, and humanity. So it's about calling out who people truly are as God sees them, seeing the reality of them that may not be here in a, in a worldly realm, but which we can see in the spirit. And we see that with those people, we share invitations, we share encouragements and interruptions of God that others can't hear for themselves. So we talked about this idea that we get stuck in our own heads. Um, we get stuck in our own limitations. We get stuck by our own wounds and our own brokenness. And as, as we saw last night when we prophesied over one another, that there were these moments of liberation, of people being given permission to step into um, who they're called to be in God. And then this morning we talked about how it's not just about these words that we give to one another, but it is about ushering in a new kingdom. It's about ushering in a new kingdom that is set up against the empire of this world. It's about ushering in the subversive, indiscriminate, and all-in kingdom. Um, and, um, and so this morning, I want to look at how this is going to look when you go home. How, sorry, this evening, my gosh, I'm so all over the place. How will prophecy not just be something that lives at a blueprint service or at a camp? Um, and so for that, I want to look at the life of a guy named John. Um, John the Baptist, who was this guy from like really um, strong religious stock. Um, his father, Zechariah, was like a hard-out priest um, and was, um, would serve in the courts of the temple. On one day, he basically wins this amazing lottery. He gets to go right into the Holy of Holies, which you only get to go into once in your life on the Day of Atonement. And an angel turns up and gives him uh, this word that he's going to have the sun. bunch of stuff happens. Anyway, the sun comes along. And um, the sun maybe is, is not quite what Zechariah would have expected from priestly stock. Um, for example, um, John kind of has this idea that he will um, uh, start dressing in um, sackcloth um, or on canvas and will go out into the desert. Um, and then uh, when he's out there, he will sustain himself on bugs and honey. Um, so this is the, the son of a good religious man who goes out into the desert and begins screaming things at the top of his lungs, calling people to repentance with honey and locusts stuck in his beard, wearing sackcloth. Um, so, I, yeah, I, 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 it's, and so this is where John begins. And, um, and I want to start by looking at John 1.6. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe... He himself was not that light. He came only as a witness to the light. So what John came, what, how John came as a prophet is he came as a witness of hope. 
that the, the, the Jewish people had been waiting for Messiah, and John comes as the one who says, this Messiah is almost here. The, the prophetic call for us in the day-to-day is to be witnesses of hope. Is to be witnesses of hope. See, what is a witness? It's someone who has already seen something and can attest to its truth. Like you were there to see it happen. And that is what Christ calls us into, is to be witnesses of hope. That we have seen Christ's death, his resurrection and its power, and we become witnesses to that hope in the world around us. That is what we're called to. You know, um, a, few, a few years ago, um, I uh, came, came into this real season of, of darkness in my life um, and, um, and, and battled around anxiety and depression for about uh, three, four, five years. And, um, and in the midst of that, um, I, anyone who's been through this knows that you pray again and again for God to remove that stuff. Um, and you pray again and again, you long that God will just break through and, and often it just goes on and on and on and on. And uh, I remember one of the first kind of moments of hope where I felt like um, things began to change. And I was with a friend in Auckland and a um, really good friend of mine, Elliot, and we'd been talking about where I was at. And then um, he had been given a couple of tickets to the New Zealand Music Awards. And we're like, oh, awesome. Um, apparently Lord was playing. So we're like, that'd be cool. Because she wasn't like quite a big deal yet. And, uh, and so we went along and we got there like 10 minutes late and she played at the start, which kind of sucked. Um, but, but we got part way into the show and there was um, uh, an artist called Aradna, or Aradna, how do you say it? Aradna. Um, and she, she has this song, I think it's called Get Up. And it's basically about her going through this, um, this time of depression that she went through. And, um, and, and, and she, she basically talks about these, these empty alcohol bottles on the floor. And, um, and she talks about her struggle to get out of bed and then willing herself, get up, get out, get on with life. And she shared, um, and, and she's singing this song, and my mate Elliot leans over to me and he says, do you know what the song is about? And he tells me what it's about, and I felt this hope into my spirit. And you know why that was? Is because Aradna had been witness to what I was going through, and she had been witness to healing and wholeness from it. She was a witness to hope to me. And that is what we are called to be, is witnesses of the risen Lord, right? In that same way. It is someone who has already seen something and who can attest to its truth. So what we are seeing this weekend is the evidence that Jesus came, died, and rose again, and that his spirit is with us. We are witnesses to the power of God, and we are called to be witnesses to that hope in the world around us, as John was a witness to the coming Christ. You see, the centre of our hope as Christians is that Jesus has overcome death. Prior to Jesus, death was the ultimate force in the universe, right? We know this, that the one thing, no matter how much money you have, no matter what you, no matter how high you rise, the one thing, they say that what is it, the two things that are guaranteed to you in life are death and taxes. Well, you can avoid taxes, um, but, but death we cannot avoid. And so when Jesus goes to the cross and overcomes death, he overcomes the most final power on this earth. And in that, we know what else can Jesus not overcome? What is it that he cannot overcome? There's another witness to this hope who was Isaiah. And he talks in Isaiah 9 about the coming Christ. And this is a beautiful passage for us to think about heading into Christmas. This is um, from the message. He says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For those who lived in a land of deep shadows, light 
sunbursts of light. You repopulated the nation. You expanded its joy. Oh, thou so glad in your presence. Festival joy. The joy of a great celebration, sharing rich gifts and warm greetings. The abuse of oppressors and cruelty of tyrants. All their whips and cudgels and curses are gone, done away with. A deliverance as surprising and sudden as Gideon's old victory over Midian. The boots of all those invading troops, along with their shirts soaked with innocent blood, will be piled in a heap and burned, a fire that will burn for days. For a child has been born for us. For us. The gift of a son for us. He'll take over the running of the world. His name will be Amazing Counselor, Strong God, Eternal Father, Prince of Wholeness. His ruling authority will grow and there'll be no limits to the wholeness he brings. He'll rule from the historic David throne over that promised kingdom. He'll put that kingdom on a firm footing and keep it going with fear dealing and right living, beginning now and lasting always. The zeal of God will accomplish all of this. There's a witnessing to the hope of God. That in Christ, that if Christ can overcome the grave, then Christ can also overcome our brokenness. Christ can overcome war. Christ can overcome so much in our lives, and we have seen it. We've seen that Christ's Spirit overcomes in us. We are witnesses to this. And that is what we're called to be you know, on the day-to-day, whether you're, whether you're in a marketing firm, whether you're in government, whether you're a community worker, whether you're a church pastor, your call is to witness to the hope of Christ, is to see that in your own life and to declare that over this world, that there is hope. I talked yesterday about how we are in an age of the death of hope. Man, something that can mark the church is that we are a people of hope. That a child is born to us and his name is Mighty One, Counselor, Overcomer. That is good news for us. The daily prophetic is to bear witness to hope. Secondly, John said as he was out in the desert with locusts in his beard and honey on his face and sackcloth for a suit. He said, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Sorry, I am the, one, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. See, John came to a people who had slipped into mediocre religion. Who had slipped into law religion, who had slipped into judgmental and prejudicial religion. And he said, get yourself ready. Jesus is coming. The prophetic call is for us to say Jesus is here, he's coming. To call people back to God and back to who they were always truly meant to be as his sons and daughters. There's this um, story, something you will know from 2 Samuel 11, where this King David, who is called a man after God's own heart, um, has a mild and very premeditated slip-up, or major more. Um, One day he is... um, out, out on the roof of his place and he looks over and he sees a woman named Bathsheba bathing and he decides he wants her. And so he finds out who her husband is, a man named Uriah, and he sends Uriah off to the front lines of battle where he's killed and he takes her as his own. I think he's feeling kind of alright about this and then this prophet comes to him, Nathan, and he tells him a story. Um, he does it pretty awesome. Says Nathan went to David. Nathan said to him, There were two men in the same city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had huge flocks of sheep, herds of cattle, 
The poor man had nothing but one little female lamb, which he had bought and raised. It grew up with him and his children as a member of the family. It ate off his plate and drank from his cup and slept on his bed. It was like a daughter to him. One day a traveller dropped in on the rich man. He was too stingy to take an animal from his own herds or flocks to make a meal for his visitor. So he took the poor man's lamb and prepared a meal to set before his guest. David exploded in anger before Nathan. As surely as God lives, he said to Nathan, the man who did this ought to be lynched. He must repay for the lamb four times over his crime for his stinginess. And then Nathan says, you are that man. Checkmate. Nathan, the prophet, comes in and reveals that David has got deeply compromised and says to him, it's time to make a straight way for the Lord again. It is time to repent. It's time to come back. A little while ago, I had one of these kinds of experiences. I was at a conference, and, um, and, uh, and I, uh, Bishop Justin came up, and he said, hey, should we go for a walk at lunchtime? I'm like, ooh, cool. Justin's really cool. We'll get there. Justin. We go for this walk, and we walk for about 30 minutes. We talk about all sorts of things. We talk about rugby talk about the um, Oxfam trail walker, talk about all these things, and then we're just almost back. And then he says, Scotty, one thing. Ah, snap. He says, you know what, Scotty? Books and podcasts are cool, but Jesus is better. Mm. (laughs) You know, it takes the prophetic voice of someone to come and say that straight thing to you that maybe sometimes hurts a little bit brings a correction to what you've prioritised and brings you back to the place which is, is really important. You need a voice calling in the wilderness somewhere outside of where you're familiar being. And we'll say, time to make a way for the Lord again. You see, if we are witnessing to a new kingdom, then we must simultaneously beckon people out of the brokenness of their empire. We must tell them prophetically it's time to make a way for the Lord. We say, Scotty, get your ego out of the way, make a way for the Lord. We must call one another not to exchange truth for a lie or the light for darkness. So point one in the daily prophetic is to be prophetic is to be be a witness to hope. And to be prophetic is to make a way for the Lord and to ask others to make a way for the Lord. Third scripture, John 3, 28, 30. John is talking to his disciples. He says, You yourselves can bear witness that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. So he talks of Jesus that his role was just to usher in the coming Messiah. And he finishes this, he must become greater. I must become less. I am not the light. I am the one who points to the light. And soon after this, John did decrease and his head was served on a platter to Herod's wife. Um, and, and his life was gone. And you know, it is historically true that it is often that there are kind of two responses to the prophet. One of those is we hear them, which we don't do very often. And the one we've done the most in history is to kill the prophet, is to kill the prophetic voice. And we do that in a number of ways. Sometimes um, 
probably more historically, we've literally killed that person. But often what we do is marginalise the voice, or we take offence to it, or we push it to the side so that we don't have to hear it and we don't have to wrestle with the reality that things need to change in our lives. And so the role of the prophet, as John did, the role of the prophet is to pay the cost. I said earlier that Jesus came declaring a counter-kingdom, and it's what God killed. Well, it's actually what we're called to do is to declare that same kingdom that God Jesus killed. We are to declare that that same thing is coming. I, um, we talked earlier today, I mentioned Hamish's recent situation of sharing this prophetic word in the workplace. And what resulted out of that was a ton of bricks falling down on the guy for overstepping his professional boundaries because he felt God speak. Whoa. You know, we, we love to kill the prophet. A few years ago, we went on a journey in, in this community around our um, being more inclusive to same-sex attracted people um, and, and being an, an open place and a safe space for those people. And I spoke at a few events on it and, uh, and then was lined up to speak at this big conference of a couple of thousand young people and um, all these pastors got together and wrote a letter and all signed it to try and get me removed from the conference. <laughs> you know, we, kill, we do, we kill the people who speak prophetically. We kill the people who speak against prejudice and ask for inclusion. We kill the people who speak against hopelessness and ask for hope. And that is, this is what we need to expect if we are to be a prophetic people. Is that we are in this world where nobody ever wants to pay the cost. We always want to push the cost onto someone else. We always want to push the cost to the government or we want to push the problem to someone else. You know, I think it's so interesting whenever you see a tragedy in the news. The first day is what happened in the tragedy. The plane crashed. And the second day is who can we blame for it? Who can we blame for it? We always want to pass the cost to someone else. But the prophets are the ones who say, I will take it. I will pay the cost. I will be responsible. In Isaiah 6, you have this moment where the prophet Isaiah has this realisation of the brokenness, of the sin, of the iniquity of the nation that he lives in. And I love that what he doesn't say is, this nation is unclean and filthy and I will have nothing to do with it. But instead he feels the conviction of the nation. He says, I am a man of unclean lips from a nation of unclean lips. He says, I will be responsible. I will pay the cost. To be prophetic is to bear witness to hope. Is to have seen the resurrection power of Jesus. And to speak to that. To be prophetic is to make way for the Lord wherever we go. To call people to make way for the Lord. To walk away from the empire and into the kingdom. And thirdly, to be prophetic is to pay the cost. Is to speak truth even when it is costly to us. To lay down our lives that the sons and daughters of God may be revealed. So we are called to be witnesses to hope. We are called to make a straight way for the Lord. We are called to pay the cost in order that the kingdom may come, in order that the sons and daughters of God may be revealed. And I think this is the kind of community we are called to be. And I think this requires us to have a special courage that is beyond our own courage. Um, I don't think any of us would choose this way. But we need a courage from the Spirit to be able to walk this back into our lives. We need a courage from the Spirit to be able to walk this back into our workplaces, to walk it back into our schools. Um, Otherwise, 
what we did is we spent a bunch of hours this weekend here in the rehearsal room, but we never played a gig. We never did, we never took the freedom that God gave us here and remembered that it is for freedom that we are set free, that the freedom we receive here is so that the world may receive freedom. And it is a horrible, horrible thing that there are conferences all around the world where people get together and feel really good buzzes around Jesus and then nothing in their neighbourhoods changes. And no prophetic witness, no witness of hope, no making of straight ways, no paying the cost happens. And then they orbit for another year and roll up to that same conference a year later and feel great again, and nothing happens. We are called to be a prophetic people, and we need a special courage to do that. I wonder if this is why Jesus says, John 16, 33, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So what, what I want to do tonight is, um, is, in a moment as we head into worship, is, is I want to invite those of you who want God's Spirit to come and deposit in you courage to live this prophetic witness, to be witnesses of hope, to make a straight way, to pay the cost. For those of you who want that courage and you know it's not within you, we want to take, we want to take some time tonight to pray for you and to commission you back into this. Um, and to ask that God's Spirit will, will empower you to do what you can never do on your own. Does that sound good? Yes. <laughs> good? It does. It sounds, sounds necessary. Um, yeah, yeah. Let me pray, my name. the worship team jump up here? Let me do that. Father, you, you, um, you call us to take up our cross and follow you. You call us to follow your road to Jerusalem with you. And Lord, we pray that um, your spirit would come now, that where this is a call for us, where you are saying, come, walk, be witnesses of hope, God, um, that we would be awake to that calling. We ask that you begin to stir in our spirits right now, Lord, we ask that your spirit would come to our fears, to our unsureness, to our confusion around how this might even look. And I feel like God is saying, now it's, don't worry about too many of the details. It is about saying yes to me, and we'll work out the details together.